I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. We've all been spending much more time closer to home over the last few months, meaning many of us have been getting to know our local areas and communities much more than we've done before. Whether through spending more time shopping locally, getting to know our neighbours or improving our living spaces both inside and out, community has become an increasingly more important part of our days. And it's seeing these impacts that community growing has on people, places and the environment that makes me so passionate about my role at the RHS. I'm Alana Karma and it's my job with my brilliant team and colleagues to support schools, youth groups and community groups in learning how to grow food, plants and develop gardens and spaces that connect us together. So I'm really excited to be a guest presenter on Gardening with the RHS this week, as this show is all about gardening with and in your community. And I'm very happy to be joined by the wonderful gardener and designer, Danny Clark. Hello, Danny. Hello, Alana. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. How are Good. you? I'm um, tickety-boo, thank you. <laughs> so I know you're very passionate about community gardening, Danny. Why is this? Well, I think it's important because um, a lot of people don't have spaces. They might live in a tower block or whatever, or a flat. They might just have a balcony, for example. So I think it's important because it sort of brings people together into one space. It gives them a purpose. When I've been sort of in that area, involved in the community gardens, it's interesting how many people come and they want to engage with us. You know, people that would normally perhaps communicate with you will approach you and um, want to chat but it seems to be a great barrier breaker. Yeah, I think it's great for connecting people. I mean, I think gardening is something that anyone can do, no matter where they're from, who they are. It just acts as a really good leveller, I think. While there are restrictions as to how many people can gather together outside, we can still enjoy gardening together. And there are many ways we can do this, as we'll be exploring in today's programme. Yeah, we're going to be hearing from a few different people about some of the projects they've been working on and why greening local areas is a priority for them. I have always been really passionate about growing food for folks who, and teaching folks how to grow food who don't otherwise have access or people who are considered an underserved population. We're also meeting a Londoner who's united his community through gardening after a tragic event in his area. It looked like it had become some sort of dumping ground for people just walking past, might have thrown their you know, rubbish in there or whatever they wanted to do with it. And we went into that space and it just felt right. But we're starting this episode slightly further afield in the sunny south of LA. Although known for Hollywood glamour and palm-lined sidewalks, 
Today, we're hearing from a community gardener who knows a different side to the place. So right now, what we're growing in the community garden, we're growing a lot of different vegetables. We have about 35 raised beds, and the majority of the folks in the community that we serve are Black or African-American, self-described. So I try to really, when I'm planning for the garden, focus on crops that are native and endemic to West Africa. And we also grow corn because a lot of the folks that we work with are of Latinx backgrounds. So we grow corn and peppers and tomatoes and things that are just really familiar. So my name is Indy Srinath and I'm a forager. I mostly forage for wild mushrooms and I'm also an urban farmer and manage a rooftop garden in downtown Los Angeles. The community garden that I manage now is right in the heart of downtown Los Angeles in an area called Skid Row. Skid Row is known to be a largely homeless person population, and it's called a food desert or a food apartheid because it's an area where folks don't have access to grocery stores within a two-mile radius. So the individuals who live in that neighborhood aren't able to walk to a grocery store and obtain fresh produce. The majority of stores in that area are small convenience stores or liquor stores. And so it's very difficult for individuals who live there to access groceries or fresh produce at all. It's a great question, why why does this food desert exist and why does this community exist? And Los Angeles is a huge city and a lot of people move here to kind of try to make it and to make the American dream happen for them. And it's a very expensive place to live. So a lot of people end up not being able to afford to live here and turning to the streets. So they've kind of created this community in this one area of downtown Los Angeles. There is a lot of mental health issues in this area as well. So a lot of times if you go to the hospital for mental health issues and and you can't afford to continue treatment, they have to take you somewhere eventually. And, and there are instances where folks just get dropped off in this area. So there's quite a few different reasons why such an impoverished area exists. And a lot of it is just that our local government isn't willing or, or able to help folks. So it's a multifaceted issue, I think. When I moved here, this community garden that I manage now was already established as part of a community action network building. And I started managing it because I have always been really passionate about growing food for folks who, and teaching folks how to grow food who don't otherwise have access or people who are considered an underserved population. So when I came in, the garden was already established and I just replanned it in a permaculture style, which is what my background is in, in permanent agriculture and made it so that the produce that we grow there reflects the interest and needs of the community. 
This kind of space, these community garden spaces in these big urban metropolis areas are incredibly important because they give folks a sense of ownership or, or kind of stake a claim to a neighborhood that could easily be gentrified, could easily be turned into something else. But when there is a garden there and we are saying, hey, we're a vibrant, thriving community, we have a sense of value, we have our own growing system, then that shows folks that you can't just bulldoze us down. You can't just turn this into the next set of high-rise apartments. So it really provides a sense of permanency in the community. And that's very much why I love this idea of permanent agriculture, because it gives folks who don't have much, who are houseless and who are underserved, a sense of place and a sense of belonging. People in the community that I work in really love the community garden that we have. They're always you know, asking how they can be more involved and, and what they can do to, to get their hands in the soil. So people love it. And I have had the privilege of being able to work with a lot of the houseless folks in the community and bring them into the garden. So I've only heard wonderful things about it. And it really gives the community a sense of pride and a sense of value. Indy Sreenath there. While this project is physically many miles away, this issue is actually a lot closer to home. And certainly during this pandemic, I've been more aware of communities turning over flower beds and putting all their efforts into growing fresh food for those who need it. I spoke to someone at Oldham Council in Greater Manchester a couple of months ago, and they told me where they would normally be growing about 130,000 bedding plants ready for Britain in Bloom, which will be hearing a bit more about later in the show they instead were growing thousands of crops so they could start sending out veg boxes to people in their community and they're not alone in that many communities have been doing the same back in the uk there's one particular organization that i know very well a group doing incredible things in response to a devastating event on the 14th of june 2017 a fire broke out in a 24-storey Grenfell tower block of flats in North Kensington, London, causing 72 deaths. The impact of the Grenfell tragedy is still being felt today. I'm involved with a company called Grow to Know, which basically is tasked with doing up the community spaces around the Grenfell tower area. The CEO is a guy called Tajan Hayden-Smith. It's about everyone pooling together to tend to these spaces make it um, a better environment for everybody to live in. Let's hear from Tajan now. We live at the bottom of Grenfell Tower on the same road. It was an event that completely shocked our community and really broke us. We were in pieces after that. The whole community froze. There's no way of knowing how to react to something like that. You know, losing friends, losing family, losing community members. It's still something that I struggle to face to this day. My name's Tayshan Hayden-Smith, I'm 23 and I'm from North Kensington and I'm really passionate about gardening. My love for gardening started in response to a massive tragedy, you know, the Grenfell Tower fire. And since then I've just found gardening as a very therapeutic and healing way of life. And a lot of community members took to 
you know, artwork. And I remember on the first day I started painting the wall and I thought, you know, this isn't really something that I'm used to and it's not something that I really am really engaging with. It's not really working for me. So I remember seeing this green space and it was just this neglected, unloved, derelict bit of land. There was clearly some sort of plans with it. Maybe 10 years ago, someone planted it up and it was meant to be this really beautiful space, but it had since kind of fallen apart and it looked like it had become some sort of dumping ground for people just walking past, might have thrown their you know, rubbish in there or whatever they wanted to do with it. And we went into that space and it just felt right. So me, my partner and my son, we started cleaning it up a bit and we started throwing the rubbish in the bin and all of a sudden it turned into a gardening space. I drove around asking different garden centres if they could help us out with some plants. And often we'd get the kind of half-dead, discarded pile of plants that they were going to throw away at the end of the day, and which was fine because, you know, it's more than what we had in the first place. And we started planting in almost like it was a blank canvas. So we used the plants that was there already and we started structuring how this space might look. And all, with all these donations of plants from these garden centres around London, we tried to shape this space into something that the community could relate to and something that people could engage with in, in a really beautiful way. Yeah, it was just a really long, beautiful process in which community members would then walk past that space and see us doing gardening in that space and would engage with it. Whether they'd share a smile with us or a conversation or offer their time, it might be five minutes that they have that they can quickly, you know, plant something up or go and, you know, get some soil or whatever it would be. And that five minutes quickly turned into half an hour and into an hour. And then people would offer their time in the week. And then we'd have certain days where we'd say, let's go and do some gardening on a Sunday or a Wednesday. And then it became a really beautiful, small community of, of, of our community who otherwise wouldn't be gardening, but were gardening in this space. And that became the Grenfell Peace Gardens. I live in North Kensington where, you know, people struggle to survive in ways. And I've witnessed it firsthand. My mum was a single parent of four of us and uh, we haven't always had much. But just down the road, you've got, you know, mansions and millionaires who have their massive gardens and, you know, all the massive parks are down that way. And I think if I'm going to speak about where I live, space is very limited. And I definitely don't think that should be a deciding factor to whether a young person should be interested in gardening nature or horticulture or not. Tajian's experience with the community made it plain to see that gardening was something that everybody should have access to, no matter where they come from. So in 2019, he set up Grow to Know, a non-profit geared towards empowering young and marginalised people through horticulture. Now he asked me to be a director of this company and within a nanosecond, I just had to say yes. I can only speak on my perceptions of gardening prior to getting involved and starting up Grow to Know, but my perception of gardening is that when you turn on the TV, you see people that you can't relate to. It's very exclusive in, in ways, and you almost feel uncomfortable engaging with that because I can't relate to those people on TV. And I think that that makes a big difference. I can speak again on myself as a footballer. I see loads of footballers that I can take inspiration from, from all different places, and I think that's the kind of way that we need to see gardening, actually. And, and actually, if we want to make a difference in the world, and we need to be so much more environmentally aware and self-sustainable and eco-friendly. And I think if we want to start that conversation, 
people can't be scared of engaging with that conversation in the first place. And I think that there's really creative, innovative ways that we can engage with young people without saying, let's go and do gardening, because gardening at the moment isn't something that people want to do simply because it's not something that they can relate to. It's almost like a protest in ways. I think either you can go down you know, central London and bang on doors and, and shout about it, or you can educate younger people. And I think that's the angle that I come from. I want to plant a seed in the minds of the younger people and really see where that goes. People can have opinions on artwork and people can have opinions on certain other things. But with gardening, you know, if you plant a plant in a certain space, there are opinions, but I don't think there's any political agenda. It can't be loaded in any way. And I think that's what's really beautiful about a garden. When you go into that space, it's complete therapy and peace. And I think that's something that really helped me in overcoming my trauma and my challenges, and not just through Grenfell, but just through everyday life. Tajan Hayden-Smith. If you'd like to find out more about grow to know head to their website, growtoknow.org.uk. That's with the number two. My involvement as part of the group is to just give the people in that area some of my experience, really. Knowledge I can impart to make these spaces look wonderful, for me, would be so satisfying. Yeah, the RHS Communities team, which my team is part of, we're so passionate about opening gardening and growing to everyone. I mean, we work with communities all over the UK. We have outreach advisors that are based mostly in cities around the UK. And my team, we work with schools all over the UK. Many people have the impression that gardening is only for the few, for the select few. And that's what we've got to try and get away from. Doesn't matter who you are, come in community garden. Doesn't matter who you are, go and visit Sissinghurst or yeah. Great Dixter or one of those fine gardens. It does not matter whether you're old yeah. or young, male or female, doesn't matter what colour you are, where you come from, what religion, it's for everybody. Gardening should yeah. not see a colour. I think at the moment, it's just been a little bit self-conscious and yeah. we need to get away from that. Alana, how do you think younger people get involved in gardening? You know, what sort of programmes are you running? We try and do as much as we can to support young people in growing. So at the RHS, I head up what's called the RHS Campaign for School Gardening team. Campaign for School Gardening was set up about 13 years ago with just the hope that we let every child have access to growing something, to green spaces. In 13 years, we've seen over 40,000 schools and youth groups signing up. And it's really kind of moved on from just school-based activities as well. Now we work with youth groups, charities. We'll have lots of resources on our website and we have training for teachers or adults working with children. Um, and they can come along and kind of build those skills and build their confidence so that they feel they can give young people these kind of nature-based activities. So one of my favourite initiatives that we work on is the Big Soup Share. And that's actually launching very soon and takes place in October. The point of it is growing fresh food and sharing it with other people. So what we do is we invite schools, community groups, businesses, charities, anyone uh, to sign up and they get lots of lovely resources. And the idea is that they host um, an event and they can use it in any way they like. But the point is that they're sharing that food with other people. And we just see the most incredible events taking place. Last year, we saw 
school groups going and serving the soup at local homeless shelters. We saw community groups using it to raise money for their local food bank or then donating the surplus veg to their local food bank. With the current pandemic situation, things are quite different. So, for example, with the Big Soup Share, we're offering lots of digital resources this year and we're giving people the option to host a socially distant soup share as long as they stay safe. And as well as all of this, there's plenty more on offer at the RHS. I'm Kay Clark and I'm the Community Development Manager with the RHS and I sit within the communities team. So community gardening is important to the RHS in many different ways. Our motto is inspiring everyone to grow. Um, So that's all about getting beyond the usual suspects that um, perhaps our members or visit our gardens on a regular basis and live near the gardens to reaching out to the wider community and more diverse range of people throughout the UK to enable everybody an opportunity to learn how to garden or to progress their gardening or to use gardening and horticulture as a way to improve and enhance the communities they live in. So the RHS is involved in many different projects right across the UK. We deliver the Britain in Bloom programme with the Bloom Federation across the UK. Britain in Bloom and the It's Your Neighbourhood campaign are run around three core pillars. One is environment, one is horticulture and one is community. So it involves about 4,000 groups and about 250,000 volunteers each and every year who are going out and using horticulture as a way to transform their communities, bring people together, improve where they live. The RHS runs the UK finals for that, which is what everyone aspires to get to eventually. As part of it, there's the It's Your Neighbourhood programme, which is a very much a, a grassroots version of Bloom um, that is very accessible for anybody, any patch of land, people can get involved. And although the main competitions and the main programmes have been cancelled this year, the community gardeners have carried on doing amazing things to support their wider communities. And there's a general feeling that a community that has has a bloom or an it's your neighbourhood group has actually fared better through lockdown because um, they're much stronger. They've got a great network already and they're there and able and ready to help their neighbours. Of the thousands of groups, we actually, we get to hear the stories and the inspiring stories of so many of them. Ones that stand out for me are probably someone like Truro in Cornwall, which, although it's a local authority sort of led group, it's actually done in collaboration with the community. And through Bloom, they've brought the whole community together. They've been tackling issues like working and growing in dry conditions. And then under lockdown, they've been transforming a lot of their beds into food growing projects for the community. We also run an outreach programme. So they're community outreach advisors spread around the UK and they work very much on a a local basis within their communities to uh, deliver hands-on projects, helping um, with advice and things like that. I have a background in working for various environmental organisations and consultancies and things like that. And um, what I find is it gives people that initial connection to nature. Gardening gives them the opportunity to build your relationship with the environment, to care about it. And obviously, once you care about it, then you want to protect it and take steps towards, you know, making a more sustainable future for the world. 
Since I've been doing the job, I have witnessed what the programmes that we run can do for communities, the difference it makes to people's lives. It's addressing things like social isolation, people's physical fitness and health and well-being, the sense of pride of place, all of these things that are utterly amazing and so, so important in people's lives. Hey Clark, one place I've become aware of through the Britain and Bloom competition that Kay mentioned is Kingsbridge in Devon. The town has transformed their community through horticulture and this year the volunteer group were even awarded an MBE for their services to the community. I think the act of growing plants just transcends all people no matter who you are. So if people have want to get involved in community gardening, how can they do that? I'd say the easiest way is to look for existing groups first. So in a lot of villages, towns and cities, there'll often be lots of things going on. Britain and Bloom groups are a good place to start or It's Your Neighbourhood, which is another another programme that we run. And you can find a lot of those on the RHS website. You can actually search for your local groups. Or I think if people are particularly passionate, they could go and speak to the local councillors and see if there are any projects going on. I know in my local village, there's a rewilding project going on at the moment. So I obviously snapped at the chance to be involved in that, um, something I'm very passionate about. If you've been inspired by anything you've heard in today's show and want to learn more, just head to rhs.org.uk slash podcast. That's just about all we've got time for today. Danny, it's been so great exploring the world of community gardens with you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. We'll be handing our mics back over to Fiona Davison for next week's show. Get your vases ready because she'll be taking a closer look at the flower industry. We'll be going from the field to the bouquet with growers, celebrity florists and some bloom-loving RHS advisors. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Alana Karma. And me, Danny Clark. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, 
you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.